Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I'm David Delaney, your host, and I'm joined today by Barry Mulroney with Leadable, the CEO of Leadable. How are you doing today, sir? I'm good, David. How are you? Oh, you know, it's almost Thanksgiving here in the United States, which means a four-day weekend. Nice. I'm sure you're looking forward to that. (laughs) So we're excited for that, and I'm really excited about what you've been working on. How did you get into this industry that we're in here in sales development? And then how did you end up starting Leadable? Yeah, so there was a few, there was three key inspirations for starting it. The first was earlier in my career as a kind of a full cycle sales rep, knowing that on the outbound side, knowing that when I did lower volume, more targeted and personalized outreach, that it worked well, you know, if I'd like identified five companies that I want to go after this week, that I was usually pretty good at breaking through to the key ones that I wanted to. The problem with it was that I didn't consistently do it. I definitely couldn't scale it. And I would do it in spurts where I might do it this week, but then I might have a pipeline. I might be focusing on other things and I might not do it again for you know a few weeks or even a month or two, depending on what's going on. Then as a head of sales, trying to build out outbound functions and seeing the challenges around doing that without economies of scale. So you know the idea behind the outbound function is great. With economies of scale, let's say you know a team of five or six and a dedicated manager and the full tech stack and everything that goes with it is fantastic. But I think it's very difficult to get a sustainable cost per lead when you have, let's say, one or two reps for a few reasons. One, who's going to manage them? So it's going to be somebody that has a lot of other responsibilities and isn't really going to be able to dedicate their time to it. There's going to be very real costs associated with doing that as well. As well as the tech stack, you you have one or two people, you've got to give them all the tools that a team of 10 are going to have. And some of those are obviously very expensive. And just in general, getting those economies of scale because you'll have attrition and churn in the role. And unless you have a you know a deeper team, that can be very difficult. If you've got one or two reps and they both leave, for example, you know, you're kind of in trouble. To then third and final reason was based on the experiences that I had myself with a couple of agencies trying to solve that problem, where I had two experiences and both were very similar, where the agency came in and we had the onboarding and you know it was all pretty smooth and efficient. But then we just kind of lost visibility over what was happening and they were doing everything kind of in a black box by themselves. And, you know, what I came to learn is what they were doing was building very big lists, you know, targeting thousands and thousands of people, a real kind of spray and pray approach to try to get quick wins. But there's a couple of issues with that. You know, one, for larger contract values going after more senior people, that approach is, you know, difficult to make that work. But the real killer for me and what I couldn't forgive, you know, you can forgive something not working because we're all going to do things that don't work at some point. But what I couldn't forgive is the damage that that was doing to the brand, that type of outreach. You know, they were more than happy to burn 999 people to get one person. I wasn't. And I realized that there was a lot of companies out there who had larger contract values and maybe smaller total addressable markets who didn't want to play that high volume kind of spray and pray game. And that's the kind of gap that we fill. Okay. So this is really interesting because it seems like the feedback from the executives out there, if you're looking at it from the buyer perspective, is that they get a lot of emails and phone calls and you know a lot of it is very irrelevant. So you think that it's just the problem that you're trying to solve in that people just rely on this mass spray and pray and hope for like a 1% conversion rate on yeah. And, you know, that has been, th- there was a time when that did work. You know, if we go back to six, seven, eight years ago, when the likes of outreach was like kind of all of that was kind of new, 
and you could load people in and you know you did kind of get results it's too noisy now and the types of person that you know you're reaching out to particularly if you're going again for more senior people in larger organizations like think about how many emails they're getting on a daily basis and think about how many of them actually get to the inbox you know when you factor in deliverability and everything that's tricky to manage with higher volume sending it's difficult very very difficult to break through with that type of approach you know you really have to do something different to capture the attention of somebody who's getting 50 or 100 cold emails every day yeah and it's interesting because even today there was a guy on linkedin who was a sales leader and he was complaining about just this very topic about how he was just inundated with irrelevant outreach and it's funny because he probably goes back and tells his sales reps to go and prospect right and they end up doing the same thing <laughs> to people. Yep. So, and you touched on one of the big issues was that you identified is that you know that you need to handcraft a message to each individual person, but how do you scale that? Because otherwise you just spend all day writing an email to one person and it might not even get the, right? Yeah. So I think it's very difficult to do it. You know, if, if you've got a traditional let's say small SDR function, you've got three SDRs and they're doing what they're doing and they have been for a while. It's difficult to then turn that on its head and say, now this is the end result that we need to have because maybe they don't have the skill sets and the system probably isn't set up for them to do it. How we manage to get the scale with that is we break it down into pods of five and in each pod of five people, basically five people play the role of one outbound rep. And in that you've got the kind of research admin person who identifies the companies, finds the stakeholders within them, finds all the contact information and validates all the contact information. And when all of that's done and a lot of manual work goes into all of that validation because you know the days of just pulling a list from a Zoom info or something like that and, and hoping that it would all be okay are kind of over. I think the data quality just isn't quite good enough. You gotta take those extra next steps and there's a lot of time in that. The second person in the team then is your copywriter. And at Leadable, that's kind of our unique value prop, really. This is the scaling, the unscalable piece that pretty much everybody wants to do and very few people have the time or resources to do. That one person is taking a deep dive into all of those accounts to see what they're talking about, to see what's going on that's relevant to why you can help them. And then they're writing you know, very bespoke messaging that we're going to roll out across different channels specific to each of them. The third person in the team is your like marketing ops or sales enablement type person. And this person handles all technical execution of all campaigns. You know, you think about the classic stereotypical SDR and the ones who are like best at what they do, let's say on the phone in particular, bit of a generalization here, but usually they tend not to be particularly good on the attention to detail with the tech side of things. And you, you can make very small mistakes in the running of a campaign and it can have a pretty bad impact on that. So having that kind of marketing ops person whose native skill set is attention to detail, that they look after all optimization, all A-B testing, all running of all campaigns, it allows the fourth person in the team then, which is the caller, to focus exclusively on what they're good at. We're not asking callers to be copywriters or tech experts. We're looking for people who have the interpersonal skills, have the willingness, the desire, and genuinely want to do it. The people who like making calls, like getting through to people, and just create a safe environment for them to do that within the CRM. And then the fifth and final person in the team is the kind of the most senior person in the team. They kind of project manage everything and they look after everything on the strategy side, 
you know, all analysis, everything. They also take all the credit for all the work that everybody else does. So it comes from them as if they did all the research, they did all the copywriting. And the end result is that wow. a prospect, let's say, gets an email as one part of, of a broader campaign. And it comes from that individual and they feel our goal always is to make the person feel like they weren't in a campaign, that there wasn't 99 other people, that it was, you know, we saw something on LinkedIn or in TechCrunch or wherever, and we contacted them specifically because of that, because, you know, they're whoever, and we've helped similar companies to do something similar. Wow. Okay. So essentially you've broken the role of the SDR into five different distinct specialties. Yeah. Okay. And that's interesting. I think, uh, so why does the program manager get all the credit for everything? It's got to come from somebody. There's a couple of reasons for this. One, it has to come from somebody. The second is that that person is the most senior person in the team. So when the outreach is coming back, obviously responses come in and not everybody's going to say immediately, yeah, let's book a time. But that person is more experienced and they're able to handle the back and forth and objection handling a little bit better than somebody who has a little bit less experience. So the, the end result tends to be a little bit better, let's say after campaign launch. Because if you think about the skill sets needed, to be a, you know, an, an SDR targeting bigger companies now, they're like, you've got to be good on the research and admin side of things. And that's maybe not the most difficult part of the role, but it requires a mindset to be comfortable with the more repetitive and monotonous part of it. And salespeople don't like that. You know, I would hate to be doing that all day, every day. It's just not in my nature to be knee deep in the data. The second skill set is that the copywriting piece, but not the traditional sense of the word copywriting. It's somebody who understands psychology enough to be able to join the dots between, you know, whatever a person or whatever a business is talking about publicly, you know, what's the ulterior motive? What's the underlying agenda? Why are they saying that? And then joining the dots between that and, you know, what we can potentially do for them. And then your third kind of skill set is your classic outbound traits, interpersonal skills, confidence, persistence, you know, willingness to do it. But those are three different people, really. And those are conflicting personality traits. You got your research admin person comfortable with that type of work. You've got your copywriter who's much more introverted, typically. You know, they want to be, you know, by the nature of the role that they've chosen, they want to be, you know, doing their own thing by themselves. And then you've got your salesperson who's the exact opposite. You know, they're far more extroverted. They want to be out there talking and they don't want to be doing the kind of behind the scenes work. Mm. And then the project manager is someone who can coordinate the whole project. And do they also interface with your clients? They would be the point of contact with the client at all times. So they handle everything with the client. So they're like a, an account manager of sorts. Okay. And so if the caller, the caller interfaces with a prospect, they set up a meeting with the program manager or do they set it up with the client? So they would set it up with the client. So if the caller is calling, the caller is not pretending to be the other person. So the caller is, say, let's say, you know, it's Sarah is the caller and John is the person who it's coming from. Sarah is saying on the phone that, you know, John has been in touch recently and I'm, you know, calling it at the same time. So we're not trying to pretend to be the same person there. But the end result is to set up the meeting for the salesperson on the client, the AE on the client side to take it on from there. And obviously we are, it's white label. So when we're working with the clients, you know, leadable isn't involved in any way to the naked eye. You know, it's, we are a representative of the client. Got it. Okay. It's interesting. So, and I completely, it makes perfect sense that there's all these different aspects involved and each one is sort of a different personality trait and a different background and a different skill set. And, you know, on the flip side, what most companies do is they hire an SDR. They ask the SDR to do all five of those jobs. And, you know, it ends up being sort of 
deer in the headlights of trying to do five different jobs at the same time. Yeah, and each of those things, they're each difficult enough that it's just, there is no individual out there who's going to be an expert in all of those areas. And if that person does exist, they're not an SDR. They're far further along in their career. It's just not really practical to expect somebody, A, to be able to do it, or B, to have the time to do it. And where I see most companies going wrong without bound in general is that they dip their toe in the water. So it's like, okay, you know, we got our team here, you know, doing whatever normal business related activity and it's time to do outbound. So let's hire an SDR. And that's the plan. You know, hire an SDR and then we're going to get, and they'll set a target of like 15 meetings a month for this one SDR with no support, you know, no team in place. The data is not going to be great that they're working with. It's just, it's set up for failure pretty much every time. With outbound, you have to commit to it or not do it at all. There's no middle ground in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're kind of left to their own devices because a lot of times they don't even have a manager. They just work with one of the sales reps or, you know, if it's a smaller company, maybe the founder, you know, and so they're just kind of out, especially now in a remote environment, the SDR is just sort of left, you know, to do whatever they need to do. And it, you know, you've seen the result of that, obviously. Yeah, look, it's a very, very difficult job. You know, it's very, very difficult to bring your A game to every call when you know, you're going to face a lot of rejection. You need a team, you need a team environment, and you need a close manager who is going to help them along the way. You, you cannot just hire an SDR and hope that it's going to work. And a lot of companies do, unfortunately. Yeah, they do. And then now, now that the economy is starting to go down, the SDR team is the first one to get cut. You know, they just sort of cost, you know, overrun. And so now there's a lot of SDRs who were unfortunately laid off, you know? Yeah. And again, I would, you know, put it down to like, they'll look at, you know, it's time for layoffs. What are we going to lay off? And and the SDR function isn't working because it wasn't set up. And, you know, when things are good and, you know, when times are good, people don't really delve too deep into cost per lead. And they'll look at it as, you know, we've got SDR here. And we're paying them this salary and they got this amount of leads. So it's okay. It is what it is. Yeah. But, you know, when you think about like the set, like what's the actual cost of that SDR? Because the salary is just, is only the beginning of it. You know, there's a lot more that goes into, into having an SDR. And if you're going to make it a success, there's a lot, lot more that goes into it to build a team. Big time. The software, the training, the equipment, the management, you know, it really adds up. And it's funny because there's an old saying that you can tell who's been skinny dipping when the tide goes out, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> right now <laughs> the tide went out and we're all just like, oh, my God. So from a cost perspective, though, it's got to be a huge cost for you running this business to have five people, you know, on every account. And then how do you price that out to the clients? Are you basically saying, you know, for the cost of one SDR, we can get this team of five, or is it is it even more? Yeah, no, it is exactly that. Like the reason why we can do that is we have economies of scale to do that. And if you think about the five people within the team, some are, let's say this was one client, it's not going to be the same percentage of time for each of those individuals. Like for example, that third person, the marketing ops person, you know, they're running the campaigns, they can handle a lot of clients. So like they're, because they're not, they don't have an enormous amount of work to do in the running of each campaign so they can handle a lot. Similarly, the person at the top can handle more clients. Where the, the real time is, obviously, the caller can only have a couple of clients. 
the copywriter would only have a couple of clients and then the researcher would only have a couple of clients. So we spread it out based on that. And we've got different plan options based on volume really is the key differentiator for us of you know how many new accounts you want to go after every month. Got it. And what if the client already has a tech stack you know that they use? So they've already got outreach and Salesforce and stuff like that. How do you interface with that? Do you run the whole thing on yours or on theirs? Or how does that work? If they've got a CRM, if it's HubSpot, Salesforce, or Pipedrive, which pretty much everybody is, we'll connect to that. So we use MailShake for our sending. And we would always do that on MailShake at all times. We don't really trust a lot of the other platforms out there from a deliverability perspective. But the good thing with MailShake is you can obviously connect it to a CRM. So all of the data, and this is pretty unusual for our industry because, mo- again, most agencies want to do what they're doing in a black box by themselves and give you kind of reporting that, you know, that they create for you. But we're very confident in the work that we do, so we have it directly connected to that person's CRM. So when every campaign is launching, you know, they get the list of contacts, they drop it into HubSpot or whatever. We're connecting to HubSpot, so they've got the record of everything that happens. Gotcha. Okay. So this seems like a great opportunity for you. It's a very competitive landscape in the outsource, the outsource SDR. I'll just call it the outsource SDR industry, whatever it is, essentially your competitors. So where do you see this going over the next couple of years? And do you feel like this is something that's being more adopted by companies or is it still a pretty tough slog? We're okay on that. There are thousands of agencies out there. You know, It's hard to put a finger on it because there's obviously many, many thousands of very, very small ones, but there are thousands of agencies out there. We have a very clear differentiator in, we work with companies who have larger contract values and smaller total addressable markets, not always smaller total addressable markets, but usually, because the two tend to go hand in hand, large contract values and total addressable market size. And there aren't really, we've been doing this for three and a half years now, and I'm still kind of shocked, but there aren't any agencies really who focus on that. The vast, vast majority, and some are better than others, obviously, but the vast, vast majority, it's a higher volume, more kind of automated and scaled way. And the ones who are a little bit more established, that's the model that they've built. And the larger the team is, the more difficult it is to change that model. And they're built on outbound practices of, let's say, six, seven years ago, where it was that very high volume play. So it's, I would say, new business-wise, it's not, it's been okay for us. We have a very clear differentiator. If the person is in the market and they're, you know, if they're either looking for an STR and they don't have a team, so if they've got already, let's say, five or six STRs and we speak to them, it's going to be a difficult one for us because they're kind of committed to that road. And in reality, they're probably better off continuing that road. But if they've got one or two STRs or no STRs and their options are hire an STR or go with an agency, we're always very confident that if they go and speak with other agencies, we win those deals. Like, pretty much every time, if they're the right fit, if they have the larger contract values and things like that. But in terms of economy, you know, the mood that's out there at the moment is very similar to the kind of early post-COVID mood, I think, where it's, everybody was just, at the end of this summer, everybody was a little bit cautious. Nobody really wanted to, you know, kind of take a decision on anything. Thankfully, from our perspective, the last couple of months, you know, people have realized that life is going to go on and they need to carry on with outbound. And our model is very compelling now because they do, they need outbound more than ever, but they, you know, can't justify the costs of building an outbound function. So, you know, this is a, it's not a good time for the market as a whole, but from our perspective, 
yeah, you know, we did very well in those post-COVID early days. And thankfully, the last couple of months have been very good for us as well. Yeah. I mean, there's an unlimited demand for the service. You know, there's an unlimited demand in, in that there's a lot of competition, right? Everybody needs pipeline. You know, there's a lot of different people trying to serve the market, but if you have something unique and a differentiator, like what you're talking about, you can really stand out in it. And how do you get leads for your company? Is it mostly word of mouth? Is it, do you actually use your services to drive leads? Yeah. So we get the vast, vast majority of all of our business from doing outbound for ourselves. So like we treat Leadable as a client, we follow the exact same process. And the leads that we get from that source, which is the vast majority, 90 plus percent of our clients come from there. The sales process is like I would, you know, if you set me up with a meeting tomorrow, I would much prefer it to be somebody who's been through our process as opposed to, I mean, referrals are always good, but let's say just a random inbound because, you know, we tell them the model and talk them through and, the, you know, the problem we solve and all of that, but they haven't experienced it. So I can understand that there's a bit of hesitancy to say, okay, this looks different, but is it the same as the typical agency that we've been burned with in the past. Whereas when the source is from our own outbound and somebody has been through exactly you know, the model, we're able to demonstrate to them, look, that you have received firsthand exactly what your prospects will be receiving. Like this is exactly it. And generally that gives them the trust to say, okay, well, you know, they contacted me unsolicited, you know, nothing was set up and this is how it went. So this is exactly how it'll go for us. Mm, so they've been through the experience. That's really interesting. So they sort of come, your best leads come built in with the trust because they've actually been through the experience with you as a you know prospect. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. So, and you mentioned that it's for small to medium sized enterprises that are going after larger enterprise. That's the, yeah. So that, sort that's of the focus. like our general like marketing tagline is helping SMEs get enterprise clients. Now that word enterprise is, is a bit of a marketing catch-all word for us. What we really mean by that is senior decision makers in any type of business who can make or influence $20,000 plus decisions. And I'd always say the cutoff for our model to make sense is that if, you're, if your ACV is below $20,000, it doesn't really make sense. You know, the, you'd need a slightly higher volume, more scaled approach, but the larger the ACV, the more sense it makes to do a lower volume, kind of more targeted approach. And the kind of companies that we work with, you know, our sweet spot really is typically employee sizes is one kind of one where they, let's say 20 to 200 employees. But the key thing is that they don't have a large SDR team because if they have a large SDR team, like they're committed to that road and they are actually better off staying on that road because if they have economies of scale, you know, carry on, keep doing that. We do work with clients who have SDR teams, but generally smaller ones. But yeah, that'd be kind of the sweet spot for us. Larger contract values, total addressable market size. I mean, it, for us, it's better if it's a little bit larger, but from their perspective, if they have a smaller one, they just can't do the other way. You know, they can't go with a high volume agency because if you've got, you know, 500 companies total in your market, which okay, is a very small number, but we have some clients who have a market that size, you know, you'd run out of people to talk to in the second month if you started, you know, running those type of campaigns. So you need to treat every single potential account with a lot of care because, you know, it's not going to be infinite. Do you primarily work in EMEA or are you worldwide? So about 70% of our business is in the US. The rest is in English speaking Europe. So let's say UK and Ireland, 
the Nordics, some of Northern Europe, not so much in Southern Europe, native language is better to go in those areas. And we have some clients in the Middle East as well. We don't do anything in APAC. We're just not really set up time zone wise to handle it. Okay. Interesting. And you've been doing this for three years now? Yeah, three and a half years now. Okay. And so what's next? Where do you see yourself in a year or so? So our goal in the long term is to be the household brand for like lower volume, very personalized type of outreach. That's, you know, to be that kind of go-to name for that globe. Well, not globally in those markets. We're not going to, APAC is not on the radar at all. So North America primarily. There was a time when it was about a 50-50 split between EMEA and North America, but economy-wise, the economy in the US is better at the moment, and the dollar is a lot stronger as well. So you know, pricing-wise, we're a little bit more affordable in the US. And so does that mean, are you going to move here? No, no, no. I've, <laughs> I'm living in Ireland. I've lived in, I started the business in Dubai. I was living in Dubai at the time, oh. and I just moved back to Ireland uh, about a year ago. Okay. You know, we have a lot of, there's a big Irish population here in San Francisco and my kids go to school in the Sunset District, which is like, I mean, it seems like half of the parents that we go to school with are Irish. So you're welcome. You know, we'd love to have you. No, I love San Francisco. I worked with a MarTech company called Tint for a few years. So I was over to San Francisco a couple of times a year for team get togethers. Yeah, it's a great city. Okay. Well, so that's an open invitation when you're ready. I mean, you got to go big. I mean, this is the land of opportunity, right? So this is Absolutely. where you're getting but this is the, business. The beauty of the modern world, you know, we can do it all from home. And Leadable, we were fully remote before it was cool. So like pre-COVID, we were, the business was built to be fully remote. So there was no, you know, there was no delays, nothing changed for us. And we carried on with, the, with that model. And I'm, I'm a big believer in remote work and have been for a long time. It definitely helps keep costs down, right? If you don't have an office and all the overhead that you have to put in. So that's absolutely. Good. And, you know, yeah. access to talent in, you know, not in just a, you know, San Francisco is a pretty good place for, for talent, but you're going to pay a big premium for all that too. Big time. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see the growth of this. I mean, I think that you're spot on with how you've structured it. And if people are smart, they would structure their sales development team in a similar way, especially if they're going after enterprise deals. But in the meantime, just call Barry and get it set up because they can click right in with you. So yeah, no, I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast and we'll put a link to the company. And I know that you're in the 10 bound directory so people can learn more about you there. And thanks for sharing your knowledge with our audience. Oh, it was my pleasure and enjoy Thanksgiving. Appreciate being on.